Good morning. Thank you. So I've, I've created anticipation by putting coloured fish under your chairs. Um, we'll come to that later on. So this is the last in our current Gone Fishing series, um, where we started off by talking about what evangelism is and why we all need to do it. Um, and then we've had a couple of weeks where we've talked about different types of evangelism. So Claire talked about family evangelism, about how when you're talking to people, it's not just them, it's pulling everybody else in that family. She tied everybody up with bits of string, and it's all very exciting. Last week, Tony talked about servant evangelism and how just getting ourselves out there and being involved in people's lives and just serving them for no reason other than we want to do that can be such a witness. Make Lunch is a fantastic example of that. And today, we're going to talk about friendship evangelism. So friendship evangelism is something that's been kind of mooted around Christian circles for many years. And I remember years ago, somebody in the church, and I can't honestly remember who it was, says, yes, I'm going to do friendship evangelism. We're going to have people round for dinner, which is absolutely brilliant. I thought, yes, friendship evangelism. This is easy. Then when I started writing this sermon and started doing a bit of research, it then transpired that friendship evangelism wasn't quite what I had imagined it was and wasn't quite as easy as perhaps I thought it was. And so it's been a real challenge for me, um, this this, uh, sermon. So, And I've also just changed my slides around while Claire was doing the notices, so here we go. Major influence. So when um, a researcher, and this is a fairly kind of standard question that people often get asked, to new Christians, what was the major influence in leading you to Christ? and the church. Okay, so what caused you to come to church? What caused you to become a Christian? And we're going to split it down into four. Church advertising, the preacher, evangelism events, and friends and relatives. Okay, so as a percentage, what do you think church advertising was, was that the draw? As a percentage? Zero, one, ten, Two. Two percent. Yeah, so that was very close. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not putting the right, right forms together. Okay, so what about the preacher? <laughs> Thanks, Sandra. <laughs> 8.46, very precise, Andrew, thank you. 18.46%. So, fellow preachers, we might as well just go home. <laughs> Okay, what about these evangelistic events that we all put on? Uh, To be honest, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Any advance on minus 28? 25%? 10%? 10 10%? Oh, hang on, I pressed it. There we go. 6%. Well, if you can add up, then you know that the last one... 86%. So of the people that come to church, 86% of them said they came because of friends and family. So that was quite a shock to me. It's like, okay, I expected it to be big, but it was bigger than I was expecting. Right. So uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not a great, I don't have a great knowledge about missiles, but anyway, it has to have two bits. There is a point to this. It needs to have the bomb, the actual explodey bit, and it needs to have the delivery system. Okay. So in terms of evangelism, the bomb, in this case, is a good thing. 
It's the good news. Okay, it's the gospel. And the delivery system is how you get that message to wherever you're going. So obviously we've talked about lots of different ways of doing that. And this morning we're talking about friendship evangelism. Step one for friendship evangelism. What do I need? This is my to-do list. Friends, exactly. So you've got to have some friends. And ideally, you need to have friends who are not already Christians and in the church. Okay, you need to have friends in the church as well. Don't get me wrong, that's fantastic. But there was a time when Brian and I sat down and kind of looked at our friendship group and went, hmm, we don't actually have any friends that are not in the church. Our life was so embroiled in the church, which was a good thing. But when people said, invite your friends to the service, we went, they'll all be there. I have no one left to invite. So we made a, we had to make a conscious decision a few years ago that actually we need to start making some friends who are outside of the church. And when you commute, a lot of people now commute to work, so my friendship group for work are actually based in Cambridge. And I'm sure a lot of people are in the same position. So actually inviting them to church here is not it's not really going to be a practical thing. We need to make friends, not just with our friends from work, that's good, not just with our church friends, that's good, but friends in our local area. So we got a dog. That's not the only reason we got a dog, but it was a byproduct of getting a dog is that we were walking around our neighborhood with the dog, and you meet lots of other people walking dogs. And we, over the course of a couple of years, made some really good friends through our dog walking. And now we've got friends that we do socialize with. And we've got friends that we have invited to the Easter service next week. Praying that they come. Yes, that's the next week. Next week we'll do canine evangelism. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so what is the greatest commandment? I said, what is the greatest commandment? You're all doing the work this morning. This is great. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, you're just showing off now. Why is my thing not working? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's not your next, necessarily just the person who lives next to you. Your neighbor are you know, people in your circle of friends. So we are told very clearly that we are to love our neighbors, love God, and love our neighbors. So this friendship thing is kind of built right through what we're taught to do. So, my thing's not working. Why is my thing not working? Andrew, why is my thing not working? Okay, it's going to go on about six slides in a minute. Mm. Andrew, can you come and press the button for me? Right, there we go. In a minute. Like, just when I say, just keep pressing the button, yeah? So, is friendship evangelism biblical, for a start? Okay, yes, good, right. So, we're not going to read it. We've got loads and loads of verses. We're not going to read them all, um, but we will... Um, I'll just restart it, and then it might work. We'll dig into a few, and these are just a few examples of where friendship evangelism is portrayed in the Bible. And we touched on a few of these when Claire talked about family evangelism, where people and their whole households were saved. It's a similar sort of principle, so we have talked about 
um, a few of these already. So John 4.53, and if you want to turn to them, you can do. This would be a good test of how quickly you can flick through the Bibles. Um, This is a story about the man whose son was healed, and he and his whole house believed. He and his whole household believed. Now, in that time, his household would not have just been his immediate family. His household would possibly have involved servants and workers and all sorts of stuff. So that would have been a bigger network than perhaps we would imagine when we talk about our household. Okay, so that's one example. I think it's working again now. Thank you. Um, then we've got John 1, 40 to 42. And this is um, Andrew followed Jesus, and he brought his brother Peter as well. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon Peter and tell him, we have found the Messiah. Um, and he brought him to Jesus. So he went immediately off and found somebody else to tell him about Christ. Okay. Uh, then we've got um, one, uh, John 1, 43 to 45, which is about Nathaniel. And so they go and grab their friend, Nathaniel, and tell Nathaniel about Jesus. Uh, then we talk in Acts 10. Andrew, can you bring them all up now? Thank you. Well, you're there. Thank you. Um, Acts 10, um, where Cornelius instructed... Okay, that's just mine that's gone. Cornelius instructed um, to send for Peter, and he came, and he gathered everybody, all his close friends, everybody together. Let me tell you about Jesus. Now, if our friends are really true friends, then we should be telling them about Jesus, shouldn't we? We've got the good news. What's going to happen to them if we don't? And I just... It, it worries me. Sometimes I can push it to the back of my mind and think, well, okay, you know, there's time enough and it will be okay. But actually, the reality is, if I don't tell my friends about Jesus, I'm not going to be with my friends in heaven. They're not going to be there because I haven't told them about Jesus. And suddenly it then becomes a bit important and a bit actually quite worrying if I don't share what I need to share. Did Jesus have friends? Yes, he had some good friends. And he spent time with his good friends. And he spent time teaching them. He spent time sharing the good things and the bad things with them. They went through ups and downs. They went through literal storms. We were singing the song this morning about going through stormy times. They went through stormy times, literal and non-literal. What's it? Non-literal. Anyway. Um, he spent time encouraging them preparing them for what was coming ahead and challenging them. And that, I think, for me, is where my friendship evangelism needs a bit of a kick up the backside, is that I don't necessarily think I challenge my friends with my faith. I'm quite happy to share my faith. I'm quite happy to say I'm a Christian and all of that stuff. I'm quite happy to talk about the fact that I go to church and all of that stuff. But actually, do I challenge them? When they say, I've got a real headache, do I go, I've got some paracetamol in my desk drawer? Or do I say, can I pray for your headache? I reach for the paracetamol. Yeah, we have a whole selection of drugs between us. We can pretty much cure anything in my team. Amazing. And I think the one passage that really um, jumped out at me when, we were, when I was thinking about how Jesus reacted with his friends, how he spent time with his friends, 
is really relevant to the time of year that we're in at the moment, this Easter time, where they met together and they ate that really significant last meal together. So let's turn to that. Um, Mark 14, verse 12 to 26. We'll just read that. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Weird instructions, but anyway. Follow him. (laughs) Slightly creepy. Um, I got distracted then. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went to the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And so they... uh, While they were reclining at the table, eating... He said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, the one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, saying, take take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And next week, we'll find out what happens. Um, (laughs) That is, that's challenging friendship over dinner, that. It's, he's being honest, he's preparing them for what's coming, whether they entirely understood it. They're meeting together, they're eating together. All those things are really important. But it's not just a cosy, friendly dinner gathering. There's a point to it. He is making a point, he's teaching them, he's sharing, he's, like I say, preparing them for what is actually going to be a very difficult time. And that starts to make my friendship evangelism thing a little bit more difficult. So, if we are told that we should love our neighbour as ourselves, we need to care for people. And basically, friendship evangelism is caring for people. And we can all do that. This this bit is, is really easy. Because evangelism needs to take place, whatever sort of evangelism, in that place of mutual trust and confidence. And if people are going to trust you, then you need to be a caring person. They need to know that you have got their best interests at heart. We need to care about the people we hope to reach. We need to accept the people we hope to reach. Even if they're not that easy to get on with sometimes. A bit of a shock this morning. (laughs) I will share this in brief. Um, We were chatting about make lunch in the kitchen this morning, and all the people that came. And a name was mentioned. And 
And Linda said, oh, it's someone who used to come to the church years ago when she was a teenager. And she remembered that she'd come to the church years ago as a teenager. This is great. And I sort of made a few connections. I said, oh, was it such and such a person? And Linda said, yes. And my blood went cold. And let me just clarify. This friend um, from church was a girl at school. And that girl at school wasn't very nice to me. And when she came to church, it was really difficult because I found it really difficult to care for this person because I wasn't bullied, but she was just someone that I didn't really get on with. And it's like, oh, my goodness. So that was a bit of a challenge. It's like, ooh, okay. But thank God that she remembered that she'd come to church and thank God that she's made that connection again. And genuinely, genuinely, I pray that she meets with God again as she did when she was a teenager. But it was just that split second. Ooh. Oh, that's interesting. Mel's trying to work out who it was now. Right. (laughs) So we need to care about those we hope to reach. We need to accept the people that we hope to reach, even if those people aren't very easy to get on with sometimes. We need to establish meaningful relationships with people. And we'll talk about that a bit more in a second. What does it really mean to be a friend to somebody? We need to help the people through tough times. You know, that's what actually Christians do really well. Yeah, we're really good at supporting people through the good times and the bad times. That's what the family of church is all about. I'm sure, you know, lots of us have been in this church for a long time. We've all had really good times and we've had really bad times. And during those really bad times, I guarantee that you've had people around you who have helped you out along the way. And that's what, you know, that's what us as Christians do so well. And we need to stay close to people. It's not just, let's be nice to them, let's bring them in, and then let's just leave them to get on with it. We've got to walk with them and help them and learn with them as they develop that relationship with God. God didn't wait for us to be nice, lovable people before he died on the cross to enable us to come close to God. He didn't wait for that. He did it anyway. And that's the, what we need to do. You know, Our friends will let us down. Our friends will make mistakes. But we need, to, we need to sacrifice our feelings in some way and not say, well, when you're a proper nice person, when you're nice to me, then I'll share the good news with you. We've got to do it now, even if it's not always that easy. So, what does it mean to be a good friend? I have got hundreds and hundreds, not perhaps not hundreds, but many, many examples of what it means to be a good friend. Is it just friending them on Facebook? <laughs> yes, that's easy. I can do that. Tick, friend them on Facebook. Well, yes, that's definitely a point. And Facebook is fantastic, and I've only put it up there as a, an example because I could find a picture of it. But it is more than just friending somebody on Facebook. Facebook is a fantastic way of keeping up with friends. Um, I don't have anybody as a friend on Facebook who I don't actually know. Okay, so my friends on Facebook are people I know. And if I've got friends in who have moved away, I've got friends in America, and it's just really nice to be able to keep in touch with them. But that friendship is a very different kind of friendship to the friendship I have with people I see on a day-to-day basis, face-to-face. So what does it mean to be a good friend? Come on, let's have some examples. Spend time with them, them. yeah. Even when actually that can be quite difficult for, for you. You might have to sacrifice some of your own time to spend time 
with that person. Yep, good. Let's take that one. Buying stuff for them. Yeah, that's nice. It's giving someone a gift, even if it's just something really small, can be a really lovely thing. I've had people who have just randomly given me just little things. It's, oh, yeah, that, that means so much, the fact that somebody has gone out and thought, oh, I know who'd love that. It, you know, it can be such a nice thing. So there's a challenge for you. See if you can treat someone this week. Okay, good. Listening to them. Listening and not always speaking as well. Sometimes the, sometimes you just need to vent to somebody and you don't actually want anyone to answer your problems. You just want to talk through them and then you feel a lot better about it. So listening and actively listening, not just I'm listening and but I'm actually thinking about something else. You have to remember to go. Okay, good. Laughing with them. And crying with them as well. Yeah, quite, some, quite possibly at the same time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there are people that I can be real with, and there are people that I can't. And actually, there's very few people that I can be genuinely real with, and those are the people you know are your true friends. We need to make sure that we are that kind of friend. Not to everybody, perhaps, because it's not... That's not the way it works, but, you know, to some people. Yep, good, all right, anything else? You're all very good friends. This side, I have to say, I'm more friendly than this side. <laughs> Just making a point. There are, yes. Yep. Yeah, no, that, yep. Yes. Intimate friends, yeah. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I personally have very few what I would classify as intimate friends. I know lots of people, and I would class them as my friends, but in terms of the ones I could really share with. And that's where my challenge is in terms of sharing with maybe those people that are slightly outside that intimate circle, sharing my faith with those people, because I've got to start developing that friendship a little bit more. So, yeah, I think that's a fair point. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and it's absolutely right to have those degrees of friendship. But I have to say, my, well, I would classify, let's use that term, as intimate friends, are all Christians and probably all members of this church. So there's no point me witnessing to them, particularly, because hopefully they are already Christians. So I need to then develop how I talk to these other people as well. So that's, that's my challenge. People who don't give up on you. People, though, when you are having a really bad time and you don't want to talk to them, and you don't really want to have any contact with anybody, really, and you want to hide away, who will respect that, but won't back off completely. They'll just keep nudging, just that little bit. And it's being in tune to what people really need, and that is the, that's, what we, that's what we need to get. Make them feel wanted, genuinely wanted. Be pleased to see them. Tell them that you've got your, their back, and mean it, and prove it. Understand and respect boundaries. This is an interesting one for people like me who actually just sometimes need to be just left alone. So when I'm ill, I just want to be under my duvet and just be left in peace and quiet. When Brian is ill, (laughs) he likes to be ministered to. He likes people to... He's a man. Well, I think it is a man, yes. He likes to have people talk to him. 
and pass him tissues and make him hot drinks and make him a hot water bottle and things like that, whereas I just want to be left alone. Um, but then I get a bit annoyed when he leaves me alone too much. It's like, well, you don't care. <laughs> but you want to be left alone. I know, I know. So it's, it's navigating that tricky path with people like me. is actually... Sorry? No, because I'm rubbish at it. <laughs> Genuinely rubbish at it. <laughs> I'm a very, very bad friend in that sense. <laughs> be okay. This is an interesting one. Be okay with gaps in conversation. That's when you know you've got a good friendship with somebody. It's actually where you just sit there and there's complete silence. And you don't feel like you have to fill it with something. That is a friendship. And I'm sure Jesus and his disciples would, you know, occasionally when they're eating their meals together would have sat around and just gone, ah, isn't it nice? <laughs> just quiet. Um, so be okay with gaps in conversations. Learn how to apologize. <sighs> yeah, let's be honest with ourselves. <laughs> okay, now, here is where the challenge comes. Oh, maybe not. Okay. Don't worry about that. Don't don't leap up yet. <laughs> Andrew's poised to leap up onto the stage when the summary slide comes up, but it's not going to come up just yet. So the challenge is, is being a friend good enough? Is that friendship evangelism? And this is where I was really challenged when I was preparing this, because, okay, it's like, yes, I can be a good friend. I can make these friends with people outside the church. I can spend time with them. I can be honest about my faith. I can be open about what I'm doing on a Sunday morning. I can invite them to things. Is that enough? And that was the answer I came to. No. Oh, that's a shame because I'm quite good at that. I've had to learn how to be good at it, but I am now quite good at that. But that's actually not what friendship evangelism is. Friendship evangelism, I know, it's rubbish, isn't it? Friendship evangelism is building those friendships and then sharing with them, challenging them, offering to pray with them, and being just a bit braver than perhaps I am currently. Because up until this point, I have kind of termed friendship evangelism as being an obvious Christian. I will live a good Christian life in front of these non-Christian friends and they will automatically know that it is because Jesus is living in me and they will become Christians. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Because actually, before you are a Christian, you are spiritually blind. You don't know that you need Jesus necessarily And if you don't know that you need Jesus, seeing Jesus in somebody else won't necessarily, does sometimes, I grant you, won't necessarily go, aha, I need Jesus. Actually, you need someone to say, I've got this in my life and you need it too. That's the bit that I've been missing, I think. That's where I've not been brave enough. When, you know, a friend comes round and they are stressed and struggling with work or stressed and struggling with their relationships or whatever, yes, I can sit and listen to them and yes, I can offer some useful advice, but actually what I should be doing is saying, now we've talked through this, can I just pray for that situation? And that's hard. That's really hard. And that's where my challenge has come as I've been preparing. I hate being challenged when I'm preparing my own sermons. It's rubbish. 
the danger with friendship evangelism that actually people see more of you than they see of God. You're so busy making these friends that actually you're portraying yourself more than you're portraying God. Portraying God. And then that friendship becomes so important to you that you don't want to ruin it by upsetting them by sharing about God because they might feel uncomfortable. So therefore you back away because this friendship is now really important to me and I don't want to upset them by talking about God. And there is a real risk that we are not open enough with these friends that we've spent all this time making. So that is that is the challenge. And it's like, oh dear, that was a bit more tricky than I had imagined. So, in summary, that was subtle. <laughs> I thought that was good. We need, as individuals, we need to be loving, merciful, gentle, and kind. So all of those things that as Christians we should be anyway. So that should be relatively easy. We can do that. Then it gets a little bit more difficult. We need to speak the truth in love. So sometimes that does mean that we have to challenge people. Say, actually, what you're doing is wrong. But I know that there is some some way back from that. And evangelism is a lifestyle. The way we live our lives has got to be evangelistic, not just that we come to church on a Sunday, and we're kind of good people the rest of the time, but actually that evangelism needs to be a lifestyle. But it's hard, and we need to be super brave, and that's where that's where my challenge has been. Now, under your chairs, you may or may not find a fish. If you don't have a fish under your chair, steal a fish from somebody else's chair. And there may be a pen somewhere around near that fish, and you're under no pressure to do this whatsoever. But I felt that we needed to actually do something to force ourselves to be brave about this. Over this time that we've been praying and fasting, I know I have been praying for people that don't know Jesus yet, for people that have known Jesus, that I need to come back. There are some spare fish at the front if anybody needs one. And if you have been praying for somebody over this period of prayer and fasting, and you feel comfortable doing it, write their name on that fish and take it away with you. And if you haven't been praying for somebody, but what I've said today has made you think about somebody and thinking, actually, I need to be braver and share my faith with that somebody, if you want to, put their name on that fish. And I want you to take the fish away with you, stick it in your Bible, stick it up somewhere at home, and every time you see it, pray for them and ask for those opportunities to talk to them and ask, more importantly, perhaps, for the bravery to say what really needs to be said to them. Okay, So that is my challenge to me, but that's my challenge to all of us. And if you are brave enough, invite that person to the Easter service next week. Because that's where we will be sharing the absolute amazing truth about what God did through Jesus on the cross. And it will be an ideal opportunity to bring somebody to church. And I'm hoping there'll be cake, so that'll be fine too. So we're going to sing a song and grab your fish because we're going to sing a song about being brave um, and asking God to help us just make that extra step where we maybe haven't made it before. Thank you, guys.